This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Live Patriots Beat, powered by CLNS Media. I'm Ryan Spagnoli. Uh, alongside me, my good friend Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Happy to be here, Alex. It's It's been a couple weeks in the work, but... I know I get some big shoes to fill, but uh, always happy to sit here and talk some ball with you. I think this is like three co-hosts for me in in three weeks. I feel like a Jets young young Jets quarterback. Just the person <laughs> I'm listening to just keeps rotating through. No, Ryan, good to have you. This will be fun. Absolutely. No, and you know, obviously you've been down at Gillette, right? It's um, yeah. It it hasn't gone smoothly from from the reports, you know, that that come out every day. I think you were down there today. Well, we talked. We we talked about this all the time. The the defense. Right. I guess. I guess you're right with that. Right. But I think yeah. everyone's so focused on the offense, right? Because it's a year two of Mac Jones. Um, they've made some, you know, viable improvements um, into this next year, right? They go out and they trade for Devontae Parker. Um, obviously, add you know Pierre Strong to a to a loaded running back room, right? And and it's year two for a lot of these guys, not only Mac Jones, but some of those big name free agents that they went out and spent big money for. You know, par- parlayed in with a you know a new offensive coordinator or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, a, a new scheme that seems like they're they're trying to implement here in the first ten days of camp. Um, so just kind of tying all together here, the first ten days. Today, it seemed like, you know, they had two days off, right? The pads are back on. It's week two. It's game week. This is when they'll start to dial it up. And it seemed like they took a big, massive step back. Yeah, something we've said on the show, and and John said it when he was hosting last week, right? It's early until it's not. And last week, it still felt like it's early. They're still working towards it. They had that reset day on Wednesday and Thursday. I mean, it didn't look good, but it looked better. And they go into that in-stadium practice, which I know some people – came out of that alarmed like I don't think that was at a pace where you can go one way or the other I'll be honest even if the offense had come out great out of that practice I would have said the same thing I don't feel one way or the other about it but you know it kind of felt like they were making progress and they came back today and today might have been the worst day for the offense and when I say the offense I mean the offensive line they were killing it one-on-ones they were killing it in seven-on-sevens that pass, that offensive line of the pass rush comes on and it changes everything. Mac was 10 of 17 in competitive periods against the first team defense. He threw a pick. He probably should have thrown three. I think maybe one of those was really his fault. I, it's just, it's all disconnected right now. And we'll get into why that is. I think a lot of it ties back to the offensive line and just the situation of the offensive line. But you hope by week three, I'm not saying it has to be perfect. I see a lot of people saying that today, you know, well, you know, we don't need to worry. It's it's still August and it's still early. And like, yeah, it's not necessarily that you're worried about them being bad in August. A lot of teams aren't perfect right now, but they haven't gotten better. That's more my concern three weeks in. I still think they have time to fix it, but they need to improve at a pretty exponential pace right now because you want to see like gradual improvement. And I'm not sure how much longer they have to like schedule gradual improvement. And and I guess from the quarterback's perspective, right, it seems like seven on sevens, they seem to have no problem, right? There was a hurry-up period right. today. They marched right down the field, ended a nice play from Mac Jones to Devontae Parker. Then the offensive line and kind of that trench game gets working, and that's where it seems to blow up, right? You're 
your starting left tackle, somebody who's arguably your most experienced offensive lineman aside from David Andrews, first play goes off sides. He's got to take a lap. You know, they bring in a replacement and it just all goes downhill from there. So right. I guess my my perspective and, and my level of concern is we've seen the offensive line be such an anchor to this team and what they pride themselves on, right, is consistent offensive line play that obviously leads to that power run game and and was a big part of their success last year. Four new starters this year, right, from last year. So that's obviously a, a major level of concern. And like we talked about earlier, factor that in with a, a new offensive, you know, play caller, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, trying to implement a new scheme. Should this have been, you know, smoother transition considering the work that they did in the, uh, in, you know, in the spring? Because that's the big teaching period. That's what they they bring up yeah. and they, they harp on so much. But it seems like a, a strength of their football team for the last few years has has is is their biggest concern right now. Yeah, I, it's funny, you know, for how many for the last really three, four, five years, outside of some pockets in that COVID year. It was the offensive line might have been the best position group on the team, definitely on the offense, maybe on the team. And it was, man, if they just had some players to throw the football to, they'd be in good shape. And now here we are suddenly they have they're not 07 with Moss and in Welker and Stallworth, but they have a good group. I'm comfortable saying they have a good group of skill position players. But now the offensive line's a mess. It ships passing in the night. And, you, you know, you talk about the smooth transition and somebody just brought this up in the chat. Right. What is it? Is it just they don't have enough talent? Or is it something beyond that? I think they have a talented group, relatively speaking. Trent Brown can still play. He's flashed at times. David Andrews can still play. We all know that. I think Michael Onwenu's better as a tackle. They're playing him at guard where he's fine. And Isaiah Wynn is what he is. He's like a, a starting caliber. Like he's a top 32 tackle, but he's playing Good a new position. Start. Right. But so here's where some of the starts, right? You talk about shouldn't it be a smooth transition. There's so many moving pieces here. So many. And it starts with the actual alignment of the offensive line, right? There's four new starters in terms of in their position on that offensive line. Cole Strange obviously wasn't here last year. He's a rookie. That's one. Michael Owen went who started at times last year, but what he did was mostly a tackle. He really wasn't in the role he's in right now a ton last year. So that's two. Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn are both back from last year, but they flipped sides. And Wynn doesn't worry me a ton in that regard because he's played left before. Uh, Sorry, Brown Brown. doesn't worry me in that regard because he's played left before. Wynn hasn't played right tackle, I think, since high school, at least not significantly. So that's another new spot. So you have that. They also have a new coach, a guy who hasn't coached the offensive line in a long time, like over 10 years, where he's a DC, he was a head coach. And then you're trying to learn a new system where none of these guys except Strange are really system fits. Maybe Trent Brown, because he's just that good. I think he's a fit for any system. And you're doing that all with the second-year quarterback. That's a ton of moving pieces. It was never going to look pretty. But was it going to look this bad? I don't know. And and how much is that that new scheme? let Let me just add to real quick. At least in terms of the run game, in the passing game, it looks more like a mass communication issues, things like that. That's that's fixable. very good. They're facing a very good defensive front against the run. Now they're winning zero percent of the time. They should win some percent of the time, but right. we should give credit to Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore, Henry Anderson, Raquan McMillan, Mac Wilson. Like they do deserve credit in this conversation. Just how much I think we'll find out Thursday night during a preseason game. But right. yeah. 
and and we talked about it earlier, right? This and and we've heard all summer and all spring, right? This new they're going to bring the Shanahan esque kind of offense and and that sort of scheme to right. to kind of modernize and, and maximize Mac Jones and and make things easier for him with the added talent on the outside. How much of that is really a pro like is is a reason why they're struggling so much up front, right? Because do they have the the you know a lot of it right like we talked about zone reads and inside zone and stuff like that do they have the caliber of of guys up front to be able to run that like that that's a that's an so, honest question yeah caliber's probably not the word i would use right, right. when i hear caliber i think like madden rating yeah and you so need again, athletic, I'll use, like athletic athletically right. can they do it? i'll use i'll use michael Onwenu as a perfect example right michael Onwenu is a mauler he's a guy that you you give him the assignment. Hey, block this guy. Block down and on the guard. His block out here. Right. We saw block it. down on the tackle. Block out on the end. He's going to put that guy in the ground, and that's what he does. He's very good at that. Right. The Shanahan system requires more motion from the offensive lineman. It's a lot of pulling. It's a lot of getting into space. At three hundred fifty pounds, that's just not the player he is. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. You could take a Shanahan style lineman, a guy in. LA or a guy in San Francisco and ask them to be in the traditional Patriots offense and be a mauler. They might be really good where they are now in new England. They might not look great. So it's not a caliber thing. It's just a fit thing. And that's why like normally when teams switch schemes like this, either one it's done when there's a total offensive or there's a total roster overhaul, which was the case last year for the Patriots. Not so much this year, especially not with the offensive line even though it's five new starters, only one guy's new to the team and, or, or it's done gradually. It's done over the course of two or three years. So the personnel can adapt. We're seeing them run a ton of Shanahan stuff at practice. And I think the interpretation is, well, this is all they're going to run once the regular season starts. If that's true, that's kind of alarming. I wonder right. if they're just repping it because it's new but they're repping it disproportionately to how much they plan to run it. And that might cover that up. So, and and then they'll build up to it the next two or three years as they add more personnel that really fits, right? Like Cole strange fits. They added him. So in that sense, it makes sense. Adding one guy to the scheme when you need five guys executing it is a little tougher. So yeah, I caliber is the wrong word, but you're kind of on the right path there. Right. And, and not to get all negative. Right. I, I think you touched upon it earlier. No, I mean, with, it's, with look, skill, it's welcome to the show. Group. Yeah. Let me, let me I'm say, saying in terms the... of their, in terms of their skill, in terms of their skill group now, right. Like you touched yeah. upon it. It's, it's much better. And we talked about it a few weeks ago when Nikhil Harry got traded, how much they've had an overhaul the last two years. If you look at what that skill group looked like week 15, whatever it was versus Buffalo, the COVID year, it's a completely different team, which is a credit to them to going out and, and really, you know, addressing the need that they had. It was a glaring hole at that position for a long time. But I think we've seen during camp a lot of positive from newer guys, right? Devontae Parker looks like he can step in, you know, if he can stay healthy and be a true number one outside guy, somebody that, you know, has that power and speed, somebody that can play outside the numbers, factored in with Tyquan Thornton. And it looks through 10 days from reports from, from you know, what we've seen, Looks to be a real steal there. Um, somebody that, you know, got a lot of attention pre-draft and after, you know, he was selected here just for his speed. 
but I think it's being well known now and shown in practice that this guy isn't just a, you know, a speedster. He can run routes. He can play all over. He can play an outside guy. We talked about that today, a little bit of a smaller guy in terms of his frame, but his release game and his, his quickness allows him to win out there. So I think that'll be a true chess piece. I don't know what you've seen from him. I know he had a big day today. Tyquan Thornton. Yeah. He, he, I thought this might've been his best practice and this is where it kills me, right? Because if the offensive line's holding up, there's a ton to be excited about when it comes right. to this offense, right? And Thornton, you know, I, I think people think of Tyquan Thornton succeeding. And they think of him as a depth threat and they think of his speed. And yeah, like the speed's definitely a part of it. The speed pops. Right. But what's exciting is there's so many of these burners that are just burners. And they've been faster than everybody else all John their Ross, life. John Ross, those guys? John Ross, <laughs> sure. Perfect yeah. example. John Ross has been faster than everybody all his life. So all he knows is being fast because he's been able to win that way. You don't necessarily always win that way in the NFL, but Tyquan Thornton today put on a route running clinic. He had a go stop go that put Terrence Mitchell on skates. He had this really nice out route, like an eight yard out. And it sounds simple, but a really nice eight yard out route that totally shook Sean Wade. Those guys aren't all pro corners, but they're in the NFL in Tyquan Thornton's beating them. So it's really exciting to see what he's done throughout camp. He's continuously gotten better. He's been consistent. And that's the difference between him and Nikhil. People will say to me, well, Nikhil popped his rookie year in camp and he had highlights. Like, yes, he had highlights. He also had days where he didn't show up. That's the difference here. And that's what you really look for in rookies in camp. Everybody's talented at this point. You don't get this far to the NFL. Even the UDFAs are, are talented. Can you go out there and be talented? Can you show off that talent every single day? Can you do it against the ones consistently? Can you do it against the other team's most talented players consistently? That's what he's done. So it's it's exciting, right? It's exciting what Tyquan Thornton's doing. He's been excellent. I'm re, I'm really excited to see him on Thursday. They just gotta, you know, get him the ball. They gotta this offense has to get in rhythm so Matt can start hitting some of these guys. Also, yeah, one more it, thing. You talked about being negative there. Welcome to the show. Like the whole <laughs> point of the show, like if you think we're beat, Evan was a hater sometimes when I got mad about analytics, but it's we're just saying like there's no agenda here. Like this show right, is not agenda. Yeah. We're just nerd. We're two football nerds talking ball. Like if it's negative, that's because it doesn't look good. If we sound yeah. like we're being homers, it means the, the players are talking about or the team is playing well. Like that's the show. So don't be like negative, positive, like outside of the draft. When I find my 10 guys, I really like, and we don't never do agendas. <laughs> uh, no, I had, um, I had Thornton. And I had Thornton, I had Strong, and I had Stuber this year. Oh, you didn't have so, Strange. I had, I had sometimes. I didn't have Strange. Three of them. I did have him. Anyway, we're just um, there's no agendas here. We're just talking about what we see. It's just two guys talking right. ball. And I think too, kind of flipping it over, right? And and I think this is an interesting and something I wanted to talk about with you. You talk about parts of the Patriots being a staple for them, right? And, and that's been that number one corner, that, you know, big name guy. I know JC Jackson was undrafted, but he had a monster rookie year and everybody knew he could play from the moment he got on the field. You did it back to 2010 when, or when Aqib Talib was here, the Patriots have consistently had, you know, a true outside corner, cornerback right. one to their, to their roster. It's, it's been a given. And this year it seems like it's more, it'll be more of a collective group. Um, group of effort, right? With obviously they have that safety group that's going to lead them back there with Devin McCourty, Duggar, you know, guys like the Adrian Phillips who, you know, can kind of play both spots, both linebacker and and safety, but you get the point. Yeah. Is it too early to say that Jack Jones is a guy that, you know, Hey, this kid can flat out play and he can, he's going to play, you know, 80% of the snaps. I don't want to look too far ahead, but I think it's been so much focus early on in camp and the offense and their struggles 
when that's kind of a part of the team that, you know, or a positional group that I think could use a little bit more in-depth look at, if that makes sense. All right, real quick, we want to take a pause and tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. And of course, the Patriots Beat Podcast and the entire CLNS Media Network is powered by Bet Online. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. They have it all. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our code CLNS50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, the code is CLNS50. Receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Yeah, it's been interesting in terms of boundary corner, right? It's been Jalen Mills on one side, and that, I think, was expected. Right. And then it's really been Terrence Mitchell on the other side, and they haven't given anybody else a ton of looks there. Mitchell hasn't exactly opened the door for that. Like, he's been solid. I wouldn't say anybody else has jumped at that chance. Like, Jack Jones has been streaky. He's a rookie. He's been streaky. He's been good sometimes. He's been not as good other times. Malcolm Butler, same thing. He's been very streaky. He had some really good days at the beginning of camp, and he's kind of petered out here. So it's interesting to see the, the the development today was we saw John Jones playing on the boundary a little bit, and maybe What's they that? just want to get, get the roster. Have you ever seen that there. in his career? He's primarily been no. a slot guy since he's came yeah, in the league. Not regularly. I mean, the times he's done it, it's a slot type receiver lining up on the outside. But you look at yeah. some of these teams they're going to have to face. There's a lot of faster, smaller receivers. Jalen so maybe Waddle, Tyreek Hill, right? Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You're going to have to defend both of those guys. So you're probably going to want. Both Marcus Jones, Mar- Marcus, whether it's Marcus Jones, Miles Bryan, or whoever, and Jonathan Jones on the field. So that, that makes it really interesting, right? It, it, it was something, you know, interesting today. I wrote about it in my notebook on 985thesportshub.com. One day, you don't, you don't glean a whole season's game plan off of one day, but let's see if he's doing it in the preseason game. If they're putting him out there against the Giants or really at any point in the preseason or these joint practices, then I think it's something we dive a little further into. But it it, it was notable today. But yeah, Jack Jones, it, I think he can be a top two corner eventually. I think based on his spring, that kind of step you were hoping to see him take, he hasn't taken it quite yet. And there's still time. Like The way I evaluate the preseason right in camp, it's like 75% joint practices. And Bill has said this, that the joint practices are more valuable than the, the preseason Absolutely. Games. So let's see what he does there. That's why I'm not, even though it's been a little slow, I'm not ruling him out yet. Because if he comes out and pops in those, we got a ball game. And two, right, like kind of chip, sticking on the defense in terms of their corners. Um, you know, Terrence Mitchell came over and primarily played a lot of zone with Houston during his career. And he, and he excelled at it very minimal, you know, man cover corner. I don't think maybe he doesn't have the skills to do it. I think he's just primarily more of a zone guy. Is that something you're, we're, we're going to see shift on defense, right? We've seen a lot of man coverage, but with these teams and the teams that we're going to, they're going to face, especially in the division, right? With Buffalo, with Miami, even with the jets and their added speed and skill on the outside, is this more of a zone? Hey, we're going to zone it up and we're just going to match you with athletes and be able to cover you with our speed and athleticism. Something that we really haven't seen for years. And you, you look at the additions, right? Marcus Jones, probably one of the best athletes in the draft coming out of, you know, talk about his size, but he popped 
Um, you know, you go out and get Jabril Pepper, somebody that, right, kind of a tweener, somebody that can kind of play a lot of positions out there. Are they just going to get out there and say, hey, you can put as many speedsters on the field. We're going to zone it up and be able to compete with you guys. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they might do that, right? They're modernizing the offense. You'd think maybe they want to modernize the defense as well. And as much as I don't like it because I don't think it's sustainable, that's kind of defense in the modern NFL. Nobody plays a position. You just load up on athletes and you go, right? Uh, it does feel like that's a possibility. Now, they don't They have the speed to do that, I think, between Jonathan Jones and Marcus Jones and Devin McCourty and Kyle Duggar. They have the size to do it. That right. becomes the next question. And, and it goes into them being a game plan defense. I think... Like against the Miami, right? What you just described makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense. When you go up a team with against a team with bigger wide receivers, like they got Pittsburgh in week two, right? Chase Claypool is a big guy. George Pickens. Yeah. George Pickens, yeah. Then it's maybe a little more structured. But I think I think they the door is open for them to do some of that. Yes. Yeah, and then you know, what are we going to see from you know Jawan Williams? Right, he, he's a guy that can fill a need. It seems like for the last three camps, Barth, they, we've talked about, this is Juwan Williams this year. He's going to, he's going to find a role for himself, right? right? He's going to take on that Brandon Brown role, that physical outside corner. And we really haven't seen it. Had a nice interception today to kind of finish off the seven on sevens or the one-on-one periods over Devonte Parker. Um, you know, I, I just think that's a guy that, right? Like a scheme base, like you talked about versus a team like Pittsburgh, a bigger team, maybe you can kind of, it seems like the cornerback position is, is wide open in terms of, how many guys are going to get snaps, right? You have Jalen Mills, somebody that's had experience, and I think got a lot better as the season gone on. Uh, that was a big miss for them in the wild card game. I think we saw that um, kind of lacking that outside presence. Uh, but after that, man, it really seems like there's a lot of snaps up for grabs with with a lot of young guys and veteran guys like Butler and and like you said, Williams. These are kind of make. I don't want to say make it or break it years, but there's a lot of snaps to be had um, with the rest of camp and kind of these preseason games. Yeah, and our, our producer just texted me. Our, my mic's kind of off, so let me know if this is better. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of by default, right, that Juwan Williams is in the mix, but he's in the mix. He's in the mix, and you kind of touched on it there, right? When they're at their best defensively, when, they're, when they look like what they want to look like, it's really three outside corners. They, like, yeah. they rotate to stay fresh. You go back to 17-18, Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, and Jason McCourty. All three of those guys played over 70% of the snaps. So, okay, we have Mills and Terrence Mitchell. Like, those are your top two guys. Well, then who's the third guy? Is it Malcolm Butler, who, again, has been inconsistent? Is it Jack Jones? The next guy after that Juwan. is Juwan, unless they're going to play Sean Wade on the outside, which he's done some of. But I'd say, if anything, those two are neck and neck. Juwan hasn't had a great camp. He hasn't been horrible. He hasn't had a great camp, but yeah, no, he's in the mix. They might keep him just because they might need the numbers at the position, right? They're going to keep a ton of corners. I really think they're going to keep a ton of corners. And some of these guys they see as hybrid safeties too. Miles Bryant can play some safety. Marcus Jones can play some safety. Juwan Maybe Williams Sean might end up. I know he, he, he struggled with it. At, well, I don't think he's a safety. Team. I think he's, he, he's multi-positional, but he's an inside outside corner. Were you a guy? Were you? Did you like him at Ohio State? Because remember, oh, the I, I year, had him. This guy's a top ten pick, and then yeah, as a pass guy coming out of the draft. Yeah, I, I liked went back and look what happened. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I he'll get his shot. I don't know that he's a safety, but he can play both in the boundary and in the slot, and we've seen him do that in camp. That's something they're going to value tremendously, right? If it comes down to him and a guy like Miles Bryant, who it looks like might be on the roster bubble, 
Bryant's just a slot guy. He can play some safety, but not, it's more of an emergency thing. Wade can legitimately play slot and outside. So that's something to watch. Yeah. I mean, that was a guy that got brought over. Did he get, he got traded during camp last year, right? Wade for like, like a at the, I think on the, I think it was the last day of camp. He got traded. Like right, they, was, the Ravens wrapped up their last practice before their final preseason game. And it was like during that practice, he got traded to yeah. the Patriots. It was so odd because he, like you said, coming out of Ohio State, I think it was his sophomore or junior year, the year before he was eligible, or maybe he even was. And I think he stayed, he ended up staying at Ohio State and was supposed to be a top 10 pick and goes back to school and falls to the fifth round and gets traded right before camp. So I think that's a guy that, like you said, when we, when he got traded here last year, it's, they'll find a role for this kid. This kid can obviously play good football. It's just finding something scheme specific that works for him. Uh, it might take him some time, but that's another guy, like we noted, at, at the cornerback position that there's snaps up for grabs. I, that's the one thing I'm looking forward to on Thursday, um, defensively at least, is how they match up, who gets you know the majority, and, and who knows how much right the first team plays. You can go back to multiple different years of first preseason games. Sometimes we saw a lot more of the starters. Sometimes we didn't. Um, I know last year when when Cam at the time was the was the you know the QB one per se. He only played a quarter or, or maybe two off. I think it was two offensive series, right? And then Matt came in and played pretty much the rest of the first half. If you can even remember that yeah, far. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the one thing uh, I'm looking forward to for Thursday. Um, kind of to wrap it up in terms of today, because I, I want to go back to some of the frustrations we've seen, not only from, you know, the players, but I think there's maybe some sort of disconnect. And I, I kind of want to get your take on it because I get an interesting one, too. Is it concerning to you with, you know, at the end of practice, how visibly upset, you know, Jay, uh, you know, uh, Mac Jones was, Damian Harris and David Andrews, right? I mean, those are passionate guys. They're leaders. That, that's This is that new wave of Patriots. Those are their core guys, I think, going forward that are kind of driving and keeping this culture going. Um, is that a concerning where there's maybe a disconnect, right? Andrews held that big, it uh, looked like for several minutes with the offense, seemed visibly heated. Um, I mean, like I said, that's passionate football and that that's a guy who's going to get emotional and, and take things extremely serious as a leader. Um, but is that something right? Like not to kind of jump all over the place, but like I said, no agenda um, that's concerning to you from a team captain perspective. So on one hand, it's encouraging because guys aren't going to take this right. They're not going to take it sitting down They're They're going to work and fix it. These guys are competitors. They care. There's teams in the NFL and there's guys in the NFL that who cares if camp goes bad, that practice ends, you're done. You're going home, you're doing whatever. And everybody has a right to live the, their life the way they want. But right. you know, some guys don't take it home with them. I think that these guys take it home with them. And I think that's important. Now, the flip side of that is we wish there wasn't a reason for them to show that passion. You wish they were just playing well. So there wasn't a need for them to get all worked up about it. Right. I would be more concerned if they had a bad practice and just walked off the field, like nothing happened, but it's, it's never great when guys get to this point of frustration, right? Brian Hoyer throws that pick on the final play of practice. Damien Harris, who wasn't even on the field. It was the second team offense. Damien Harris throws his helmet into the ground. Like that's not a great sign. You don't do that because your backup quarterback threw a pick on the last play of practice. That's building. That's something that was building throughout the day. So it's not great. But I think what we're seeing is these are guys who are dedicated to fix it. Now they have to fix it. It's easier said than done. But these guys aren't going to take this lying down. And I think the biggest thing to look forward to now for the rest of this week, not only just the game, right? Because I think that's much different, even though it's a preseason game, is how can this group respond? I think that'll say a lot about them 
as a collective unit? How can they take this, go home, like you say, as athletes, right? You know, kind of take that time to yourself. Think about it. If they can come back tomorrow and have a monster day and, and show, you know, signs of improvement, which we started to see towards the end of last week. That's why I think today was so weird, right? It was, you know, two steps forward or one step forward, then two steps back today. Can they right. respond tomorrow, come out, have a good practice, start to, you know, it seems like it's all mental things, right? Like little things, jumping off sides, the off miscommunication, stuff that shouldn't be happening at this point in camp. I know it's day 10. I don't want to overreact, but if, if they can come out tomorrow and have a big day, I think that says a lot about not only that group as a whole, but some of those, those leaders that I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. I mean, I, on one hand, I agree, right? You want to see the offense punch back and camps a back and forth, right? The, the offense is going to win one day. The defense is going to win one day. Offense wins a couple of days. Defense wins a couple of days. So like, I'm right there too, with you. Part of that too is what are they focusing on? You know what I mean? Like we saw last year was the first few weeks. Remember it was heavy red area stuff. Like that's advantage right. defense, right? Like well, if they're focusing been, on little things. Yeah. They've been, they've stepped out of the red zone and it's still been the defense. Like for me, it's, um, like you said, right? You're waiting for the offense to punch back. I've been saying that for two weeks now. So, yes, you want to eventually see the offense punch back, but you want to see them do it after one or two bad practices, not eight. So that, like, this is beyond the general seesawing of a camp battle between an offense and defense getting used to each other. We're, we've kind of hit that wall where now it's suddenly, maybe it's about the offense, maybe it's about the defense, right? We're going to find out Thursday, like, I was saying this to somebody earlier today. It would be kind of funny if they come out against the Giants and put up like 480 yards of offense. What's the narrative there? Or on the flip side, let's say the offense does whatever average. The Giants stink. That's probably the narrative. Right? The Never. Giants put up like 30 yards of offense. No, but something where like it's to the extreme, right? right. Like then what happens? So Maybe the defense is just as good. I don't think the defense is this good. I think the front seven's really good. I don't think oh, the front yeah. seven's getting enough credit for their role in all of this, particularly in the rushing game. You and when some you looked at Judon and Barmore and Godshaw yeah. and you know LeBron Ray's pop during camp. They got sure not only they're big guys, it seems like depth depth. Lawrence guy, and that's right? the like, difference. They, they got the depth. And that's the difference to me is people talk about they sucked against the run last year and then they paid Devon Godshaw. Devon Godshaw wasn't why they sucked against the run last year. No. They sucked against the run last year because even your best defensive linemen only play like 65, 70% of the time. It's a rotational position. And when those guys came out, it was a tremendous talent, tremendous talent drop off. Now you're seeing that that might not be the case. So give those guys credit, but uh, yeah, to go back to the point, you know, you want to see the offense punch back, but we've been, we've been saying that for a while. I think now it's a matter of, you know, they really have to do it. And, and we'll see either it's either the offense is this bad or the defense is this good. That's kind of the way the conversation uh, has shifted at this point. And LeBron Bama guy, you, you were on him. You yeah. have him as a Patriot fit, right? I ha- I was, I had him in the mock draft. I had them taking him in the sixth round shows yeah. what I know. Is that, like that's is, one where I can brag and I can't because right. I said he was a fit. I hammered the table on this show that he was a fit. Evan didn't know who he was. I hammered the table on this show that he was a fit. So in that sense, it's a win but I had them using a draft pick on a guy that they ultimately didn't need to draft. So in that sense, it's a loss. So I don't know. I'll take the credit. Cause I like a good victory. Yeah, we'll give you a half point. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I think, All right. I'll I remember you that. talking about him and, and is that a guy's UDFA, right? Like it from terms of, and I know there's so much focus on the offense and right. Like any UDFAs that really are pop besides him that you think has a, has a true chance to make this team. 
right? Because we sure. talked about – go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Demarcus Mitchell, who's another defensive line, old yeah. edge guy, he's looked good. Part of the reason I think he makes the team, he spent a ton of time with the specialists, with Matthew Slater, with with uh, Cody Davis, Justin Bethel, even Cam Acord. He had a one-on-one with him the other day. That's how these guys make the team. Yep. They, you know, you don't make the team as a UDFA all the time because you're so good. Yeah, at your you had 10 sacks in camp. Yeah. Right. It's You're just good enough. And then also you can play special teams, which they need. And maybe there's another guy who's about as good as you, but doesn't play special teams and your contract's more attractive. So there you go. Like that's how UDFAs make the team. The other guy's Brendan Schooler, a safety from Texas. He was a wide receiver at Oregon, transferred to Texas, started playing safety. He's like a through and through special teamer. He's gotten some reps on defense, but I think in the NFL, he's like a Matthew Slater, Cody Davis, Cody Davis type, yeah. you know, Nate Ebner comes to mind. He's I, a guy like that. If he doesn't make the team, they're getting him to the practice squad. If he's not claimed, like he's going to have a role here as long as nobody else grabs him. Right. So those are the three guys I'm looking at. I was in on Cody Rusi, And then I saw Cody Rusi try to block NFL defensive lineman. And I'm no longer in on Cody Rusi. but uh, <laughs> those are, those are my three. And you talked about roles. And I think before I just want to be, before we do our Boston Sports Minute, that's been a big hit. I'm a big Bruins guy. Me and Barth could talk Boston sports the whole day. So we will definitely do that towards the end of the show. I want to make a note, do a little yeah. Q&A. If you have any questions towards the end of the show, feel free to drop them in. Me and, me and Barth will get through them. Um, but I want to touch upon you. You had a nice piece today on 98.5 The Sports Hub regarding their third down back um, and kind of that third running back, right? So who is it, right? Because James White, we got a little update from him from Bill Belichick today. Kind of we'll see on him. We'll see where he's at. Obviously, Hines came off um, right. the pup list. He, he's going to practice. It's White. Is it, you know, Ramondre Stevenson? Is it Ty Montgomery, who I believe has seen more time as a receiver, but has always been kind of that tweener in the NFL? And there's the third guy that yeah, you're, or like a fourth 50, guy that 50. you're kind of paying attention to. Right. And you're paying attention to that fourth yeah, guy that so- can kind of potentially carve out a role. Is it Taylor, right? Somebody that we've heard about right. for years, but when he gets on the field, he can't stay, he can't play consistent. Yeah. So again, this is, I, I have like a big thing up on this right now on 985thesportsub.com. But basically, yeah, what are they going to do with that role? Bill was asked about James White's status today. He did say we've pretty much cleared PUP and NFI. There's still two guys left with Chase and Hines returning today. It's Andrew Stuber and then James White. Andrew Stuber's rookie seventh round pick. He might just stay on NFI redshirt yeah. year. He was asked specifically about James White. He said, we'll see. And generally when Bill says we'll see, it means he knows something. So maybe something's been decided one way or the other. Especially early James on White. in camp too, when there's no injury report and he doesn't have to comment on injuries, right? We know how he, he loves training camp because he has to report right. on those. So we'll see could mean James White's back tomorrow. We'll see could mean James White's out for the season. But I think whatever direction it is, I think they know, right? So hypothetically, if he can't go, because all the reports have kind of indicated that he at least won't be able to play to start the season. They, I mean, that's such a crucial role. James White, first or second on the team in catches every every year between 2015 and 2020. In that span, no running back has more receptions, receiving yards, or receiving touchdowns. That includes Alvin Kamara. That includes Christian McCaffrey. That's a big role. So who's going to fill it? Ty Montgomery, Montgomery makes a ton of sense. He can do it. He, he He's a capable receiver. He's built to pass block, which I think people forget. I was going to say, big... that's a big part of that yeah. role. And people they struggled with it that. earlier last year. I, Bolden did such a good job, but we thought when white went down, especially with max right. rookie year, that was like, 
this could be it, right? Because we we thought how much they'd rely on White, not only for that, but for pass protecting. That that's the biggest part of that role, right? Yeah, and that's why, like with JJ Taylor, no offense to JJ Taylor, people talk about he bulked up. We still like a buck eighty-five at like five seven. What happens when TJ Watt comes flying around the edge? Is he really going to be able to give you anything there? <laughs> Whereas Ty Montgomery's, I think six one two oh five. You look has all muscle, right? So I think he's the leader in the clubhouse. Now, they generally like two guys here. They, they have a main guy who they use about 80, 85% of the time in this role. And then another guy that's about 25, 20, 25% of the time. I don't think those numbers add up, but I, I'm not a math guy. So, all right, Ty Montgomery is the number one. Who's the number two? I think Pierre Strong, ideally, is a candidate, but he's missed two weeks at camp. He's going to be behind a little bit. That's something that they factor in. And so the other thing, too, should... with him in, in... – you know, obviously has some time to carve out a role, yeah. but really since in the past, we never saw rookie running backs play unless they were first round picks. Like Maroney had a big right. role. They, Michelle Stevenson Ramondre was a trend year. breaker last year. Right. And I know with white going down, obviously the, the depth chart's going to shoot up. And I think he, he was, people forget he was benched the first, it was kind of him and Taylor back to back. We didn't really know who was going to dress on Sundays. And then Stevenson had a monster game and kind of took off. We never saw that last year. So to expect, Pierre strong to have a really big role, even as the third down back, I think would be, it'd be still, it would be a shock, especially where he is at camp right now. Yeah. And the stat I always like to give out James white only had 14 touches as a rookie. And then look what he turned into. Right. So the, the, the thing is though, so one, they broke the mold with Ramondre last year playing him because you just brought up that stat right outside of the first round guys, Lawrence Maroney and Sony Michelle. You have to go back to 2000 for the time a rookie running back had more than 100 touches with the Patriots under Bill Belichick. J.R. Redmond did in 2000. And actually, I think Stephen Ridley had like 101. And nobody else comes close in their rookie year to 100 touches, not carries or catches, touches. So it would be a bit of a trend breaker for Pierre Strong to play, especially after he's missed this time. But, okay, what's the other option? The other option is Ramondre Stevenson, who's looked good as a receiver. But there's a trend breaker in there as well because they're very careful, Ryan to not overwork their running backs. They have this thing very divided. They they have this thing. Everybody has their role. You have your early down backs, and people who've listened to the show have heard me do this rant, but I've never done it for you before, so here we go. I've never heard it, so let it rip. <laughs> the, the Antoine Smiths, the LeGarrette Blunts, Sony Michelle, Damian Harris, those are the early down backs. That's column A. And then A1 is the early down backs that aren't big guys that are shifty. That's Deion Lewis. That's J.J. Taylor. Column two is the pass-catching backs. That's James White, Danny Woodhead, Shane Vereen, Kevin Falk. There's very few guys that do both. The one guy that comes to mind is Rex Burkhead, but he was the second stringer at both spots. So yep. he did both, but he didn't have a big workload because he didn't play either one significantly. Since 2012, the last 10 years, only two Patriots running backs have been on the field for more than 50% of the team's offensive snaps. James White did so in 2018. Shane Vereen did so in 2014. They were both just over 50%. Okay. Very few guys get over 40 for that matter. If Ramondre is going to be your third down back, is he also going to be your primary early down back? Because now you're talking about 60, 65, 70% usage rate. And I just don't see them doing that with a back they still have under contract for three years. So if he's your passing back, well, is he not your early down back anymore? Okay. So then you have Damien Harris, who I like, but gets hurt. And then who? Kevin Harris, JJ Taylor, that's a drop off. Are you going to have Ramondre be the, the second guy in both of those spots? Well, sure, but I mean, are you really maximizing him that way? So 
to go back to your original point here, yes, it's a it's a trend breaker if they go with Pierre Strong. Absolutely. It's a trend breaker if they go with Pierre Strong as the pass catching back. At the same time, it's also a trend breaker if they go with Ramondre. Right. So unless Ty Montgomery is going to play 100% of the passing down back, passing down back snaps, which in itself would be a trend breaker. Like it's no matter what they're going to have to, unless they bring in somebody else, they're going to have to have to do something they haven't done. If James White's not available, I think they lean on the, I use veteran loosely. It's his second year, the more experienced player in Ramondre. I think Ramondre is going to get a ton of run this year. I think we're going to be adding him to that list with James White and Shane Vereen in terms of down percentage. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they go with Pierre strong. It's not a matter of he can do it. It's a matter of, do they, want, do they him want him taking that many hits, right? Running backs have, they, they have a, they have a hit counter, right? Guys can only play so long. Not everybody's Frank Gore. And do you want him getting that beat up in year two of his career when maybe when Damian Harris is up for the guy and Damian Harris is up after the year, right? Like to me, Damian Harris is the guy you run into the ground. Cause as much as I'd love to see them sign him, because I think he's an important voice in that locker room. That's the guy, you know, if you know, you're moving on, you're moving on. You don't necessarily, it's crass as and I'm it sure sounds. they it's have some sort of idea, right? At, right. at this point, they, they, they probably know right now. Ramondre you have for two more years and maybe longer. Maybe he's a guy they pay. They do pay the passing down backs, right? James White got a, a second contract. I believe Shane Vereen got a second contract. I think it was a short one, but I think he got like a one or two year bump after his rookie deal. Obviously Kevin Flock was here forever. Yep. They'll pay those guys more than they'll pay the early down backs. So Burkhead, Burkhead got a second contract. Here and the well. other thing is Ramondre. Well, he was again, that versatile guy. Yep. Ramondre is one of their best offensive weapons or projects to be. We'll see, unless he has a sophomore slump. Do they want to risk him that much? Because that's a position where injuries are more prevalent than maybe anywhere else on offense. Do you want him out there 60, 65% of the snaps? Because if you lose hit, like maybe you do that, if you get to the playoffs, maybe you do that in the playoffs. Because now you're there and it's just about winning. In the regular season, especially early, do you want to run him into the ground that much and risk not having him later in the year? That's something they're going to consider. No, for sure. And and like you said, observations for day 10 will be here Wednesday, right? Wednesday. Yeah. So uh, I'm on, um, I got to run from practice tomorrow. We got another afternoon practice and then I'm on filling in for Jones and Arcan at night on the hub. So I'm booked up until like one in the morning. So I know we've been inconsistent about doing shows. We try to do them every day. Uh, Tomorrow's the last one where we'll break it, right? We'll do a show Wednesday about Tuesday's practice, and that might be like a Q&A reset show too. And then probably Friday, I would think, to Recap break the down the preseason game. Yeah, well, we should do that Friday, maybe Saturday if they have a bunch of stuff on Friday, a bunch of availability. But I would guess Saturday, uh, Friday for that. Um, right. That's, that's the plan here. Because now we have a host. We know who the host is. He's yeah. not running the entire company like John. Shout out to John. But juggling a lot of hats. So it's tough for him to, to, you know, he's got to now book another hour out of his schedule. So we have a host who can be around. That's good. Yeah. And we'll we'll, we'll get it going. We'll be back on that regular schedule. Yeah. Right. But before we go, we talked about it. The Boston Sports Minute. I I know you guys have done it in the past. Big hit. Wait, hang on. Hang on. We got a, uh, we got a, wait, 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 wait. We got my computer locking up. There it is. Oh, there we go. Amit got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A staple um, of the show. Welcome to the Boston Sports Minute. The people love it. Big day for my Bruins. If anyone knows me, hockey yeah. guy at heart. I want to get 
Bergeron, Krejci, and then obviously you knew they were going to sign Zaka. Um, trading Hall, he was a restricted free agent. I thought it was interesting that it was only a one-year deal. Um, typically, they like to get those guys two, maybe three, but uh, with him hitting unrestricted free agency next year, right, there's obviously that risk. But he's like third on the total. Krejci and Bergeron are back. Looks like the Bruins are going to try to run it back, kick the can down the down the road in terms of resetting their roster. Um, I want to get your take on it, but I think that's a huge fix for them. You talked about the last few years, they've always had that hole in the second line, whether it was on the wing with Krejci having kind of a revolving door on his both left and right since Horton and Lucic left, and then again, the first stint. Then last year, they had the hole down the middle. You know, Hollow obviously exceeded expectations, but not a true playmaker, a guy that can center a guy like Pasternak and Hall. You get those two guys back, you get the band back together, they're going to try to run it back. What, I, what are your thoughts? Are you, are you happy with it? You have to be. I, I I honestly can't get really worked up about it. One, I think we knew this was going to happen months ago. Obviously, right? but it, it's So it's nice now. to see, but like, yeah, but you didn't have that guttural reaction. I was fired it, up. Right? I was All fired right. up. All right, I, fair enough. I'm glad they paid Zaka. I actually really like Zaka. And I, I didn't think they were going to trade for him and not pay him, right? But you never know with their cap space. I just wonder, like, and what? Okay? So they're the team they were last year. I think the, a little better. The move better. to me, if they, if, if this all means they can extend David Posternock, I'm all on board. Like, that's, I was waiting for them to tweet out that David Posternock picture today. And I know we said we were going to tweet out the picture of you joining the show. <laughs> like, the Bruins are tweeting out their acquisitions. And I had that idea, like, right as I was leaving for camp. In the Kevin Grant story, it. which I want to touch on in a minute. With That dropped and I got lost under everything. Um, I, I, it's fine. It's good. I love that Bergeron's back. That's fun. Like I, they're going to be a playoff team. I just, they're kind of in the middle, right? they will be a playoff team. They might win around, but they're not in that elite class. And I don't know that they're, they're not any further from that, but they're not any closer either. And I'm glad Bergeron's going to get to retire Bruin and that's all well and good. They're going to need a reset year at some point. It's just going to have to happen. Do, I'm well, not saying they it had get- to be this year. Yeah. But it's it, it's gonna have to happen eventually. This is just pushing it off. I mean, when they got when they got eliminated, I I said blow the whole thing up. Cassidy, new ownership, and they started to you know Cassidy gets fired, then DeBrusque pulls the trade clause, and Bergeron's reportedly coming back and crazy. But you said pay Pasternak, which I think is people are missing too. They have over eighteen million dollars in cap space as of right now. Next year, the cap is supposedly supposed to go up to like eighty four million or something, but they'll find out in January with. Only Pasternak, Zaka, and Swayman, who will be a restricted free agent, likely sign a bridge deal to sign as unrestricted. You know, maybe you get Bergeron and Krejci back for another year, but if it's anything like this year, they're just going to take team-friendly deals. So you have the cap space next year to not only pay him, but also if those guys were to leave, leave enough money on the table to go out and, and really solidify those top center. But they it starts with their drafting. I could go on days for this, Barth. <laughs> I know you could, but I, I want to touch on the Celtics news too. Shams Charney. I don't know that it's news. It's kind of the same thing we've been hearing, right? We didn't know is is Kevin Durant going to leave? Is he going to? Is he not going to leave? Was the the trade request a hoax? Are the Nets going to honor it? Well, apparently he went to the Nets today and said, either I'm gone or Sean Marks, the GM, and Steve Nash, the coach, are gone. If I'm the Nets, that's a no brainer. I would have already fired those guys. And I know they gave Marks an extension earlier this year, but I'm sorry, you're going to pick, and, and I, I have love for Steve Nash, the player. He's one of my favorite players growing up. 
but you're going to pick Steve Nash over Kevin Durant, Steve Nash, the coach over Kevin Durant. Like get the hell out of here with that. He was so in over his head this season. That was a joke. He's not a coach. So how much but, do you believe in the fact that so, the Nets well, so are, Kyrie's leaking this right to, to oh, I, I don't know about Nash. that. The, the second part of the report though, is that the Celtics might still be the favorite Jalen Brown's still on the table. That tells me this came from the Nets. I don't think it's coming from Kyrie. I think it's coming from Marks. I think it's coming from Marks because one, he's trying to lay out why he would trade Kevin Durant to save his job. And two, he keeps putting that Jalen Brown thing out there. Shams mentioned the Celtics, the Heat, and the Raptors is the three like leading candidates. I forget the exact term he used, but leading candidates slain Durant. And then he says, Boston's package with Jalen Brown is still considered a viable option. Didn't mention any players from the Heat. Didn't mention any players from the Raptors. Why? Because the Nets keep telling them that the Celtics are talking about Jalen Brown to try to piss off Jalen Brown. They're trying to drive a wedge, the Nets, between Jalen Brown and the Celtics. And look, it's good business. But it's also kind of lame. So I don't buy the Celtics would move Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. I don't either. Apparently, Sham still does. And I'm waiting for, like, last time this happened two weeks ago, it was at 2 a.m. <laughs> we had, well, we, but then we had Brian Windhorse come out like 10 hours later and say, oh, that's actually like not really what happened. Like there's not enough context to truly explain that. I'm still kind of waiting for that report. Maybe people are done with Shams at this point because it's really just the same crap he said two weeks ago, just adding the fact that Durant talked to the owner over the weekend and said, you really, yeah, or them or me. I think if the Celtics really wanted Kevin Durant, like really wanted him. I think the deal would be done already. I was just going to say, Udoka has the relationship. They 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 can move a superstar and still have a superstar to pair with Durant, right? They can move Jalen Brown and keep Tatum. I think if they wanted to make this move, they'd make this move. And I think that as good as Kevin Durant is, as good as he is, even at 33, Brad's, the, the, the potential downside to this deal, which is Durant gets hurt, or he ages out, or he gets disinterested, and he gave up Jalen Brown for nothing. Brad Stevens saw Danny Ainge make that mistake. He saw it firsthand, how they had momentum, and it almost shot them back to square one that with is, Kyrie Irving, what is it right? Tatum? Tatum. Tatum's, Tatum's the guy. This is his team. He's kind of proven Tatum it. Tatum might want this. He's boys with Durant. Tatum might want this. The bigger thing to me is Brad Stevens saw Danny Ainge make this mistake. I don't think he's going to make I don't think he's going to make it. I, I don't think he's going to take that, that risk after seeing what happened with Kyrie Irving. Smart, smart. One, what are the two wins away from the finals? Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. What's the saying? Don't fix what's not broke, right? Something like that. I, right. I think you know. I'm not, not a huge Celtics guy, but followed along enough to know I, I wouldn't make that trade. So um, we'll get Bar- you there with the Celtics. Yeah, we'll get. We'll, I jumped on the bandwagon late last year once the Bruins right, are yeah. out. And and as as we end every Boston sports minute, the Red Sox still suck. We don't have time for them. I, I that's we, that's all we need on the Sox tonight. Yep. Jaron Duran, I could go on for a while about him, but we'll we'll save for another time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, but Barth, good first show. This is a blast. Like good I said job. before, we're, we're getting pleasure there. to be here. I'm uh we're getting there. We'll treat it more like a phone call. Like we, we typically call each other on Ram Tuesday to talk football, but uh, big shoes to fill. I'm happy to be here. This is a lot of fun. 